Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to give a big shout out to any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. You can find me at Color of the Iris on Twitter. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from Reading, Pennsylvania is Micah Storms. Micah, how are we doing? I'm good. I uh, get the luxury of keep doing these midweek podcasts where the team kind of leaves me not knowing exactly how to feel because last week they salvaged the series against Colorado, and now this week they kind of gave away an opportunity to win a series. So I just, I don't know. I'm happy with the way they're playing, but then the last two days, I don't know, kind of put me in a a downward mood. So hopefully they can uh, have a good series over the weekend, but I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, welcome to the midweek roller coaster as, as we become used to it. Uh, and where can folks find you on Twitter? They can find me at Ballpark Buzz. Awesome. And also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you doing? Doing all right. Um, I, I was at work today and um, I, I kind of took a seasonal job and it's kind of weather dependent and the skies let loose. And my boss is like, what do you think? You want to go home? And I'm like, Red Sox game at 1 p.m. Yep, I want to go home. And uh wasn't much of a game. We got shut out. Uh, Joe Ryan, uh, I'm guessing that was his best uh, performance of the year. Nine innings. Uh, I don't have his line up in front of me. Well, actually, he struck out. Uh, I just count the strikeouts. Struck out nine by the looks of it. And uh, yeah, kind of an ugly way to end the series. I, I had the Red Sox winning the first three, and then I picked us to lose the final game. I figured I didn't know who was going to start. It was TBA at that point. Thought it could actually be a Kluber start because he had a couple of okay appearances out of the pen um that streak ended uh we're not probably going to get into him too much but um so yeah quick check of the standings real quick after the two and two split with minnesota red sox still in their last place spot a couple of games behind the blue jays who are ahead of us in fourth two and a half games out of the third wild card slot Tampa still has a, a stranglehold, basically, um, on the division. Five games ahead of the Orioles, so not great. So do do we do we feel like do we feel like we won the series or lost the series? It was a split, but what is it? What's the mood? It, it sounds for, like from Micah, eh, you know, a little sour at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I'll say from my end, um, it feels more like a loss only because of how the last two games went, where you're you're going up against two very good pitchers. And you mentioned Joe Ryan. What a steal by the Twins in that trade. Joe Ryan for two months of Nelson Cruz. <laughs> that might be uh, – Tampa might be kicking themselves for that one. But it just – the way the offense just went completely cold and, you know, had some – 
starting issue, starting pitching issues, some bullpen issues. Like, I don't know. And then you're heading into Chicago with, with that momentum. Eh, I don't love it, but that's just me. It, it, I'll take the split for sure, but doesn't feel all that great. Mike, any thoughts or? It just, they dominated the first two games of the series, pitching wise and hitting wise. Like it was just, they took control of the game. And then yesterday's game, it was just a lot of, um, they could not get that big hit. They made stupid mistakes on the base paths. And then today the, the offense was just completely lifeless. And when the offense is lifeless, it just feels like it just, the, the, the air is let out of the entire team and it just kind of gives a bad taste. Uh, I feel like in, in Red Sox fans uh, mouths when that happens. So um, yeah, not, there's not a lot of momentum now going into Chicago, but Chicago is not a very good team. So hopefully they can uh, capitalize on that. Yep, absolutely. And you know, for frequent listeners, you guys always know we do a top five, bottom five, for this show, we decided to expand that a little bit. We're going to give you a list of six because, like we all kind of mentioned, it's you know it was a Jekyll and Hyde series. Felt really good first two games. We're not feeling so good the last two games, so we're going to expand that list a little bit. So we're going to give you a little bit of both sides, and we're going to dive right in here with number six on the list, and that would be Mr. Kike Hernandez, who. Uh, didn't play much in this series, didn't even start in the last game of the series, but went 0 for 10. Um, you know, it feels like Alex Core will do anything to just put anyone else in KK's spot in the lineup, plus in the field as well. Um, for a guy who I liked last year, you know, I, I was actually happy when they, you know, gave him another contract and brought him back for this season because. He was decent last season. You know, his bat's not going to blow you away. He's not going to, you know, be an all-star or contend for an MVP or a batting title or anything like that. But he played a really good center field last year, had a pretty good bat, showed some power, is obviously a well-liked guy in that clubhouse and in that locker room. And I think that stands for something. And I was buying into the narrative going into this season that, well, J.D. Martinez is gone. Nathan Navaldi is gone. Um, Sandra Bogarts is gone. The guys who were not happy and who were complaining about the clubhouse vibes and the chemistry, they're all gone. But Kike is still here. And Kike was, at that time, labeled as a clubhouse leader. Um, you know, one of the leaders on this team. He's been a postseason performer with the Dodgers. He's been around baseball long enough. Um, so I was buying into that. I thought, okay, great. Yeah, no, I'm okay with that. You want to bring back Kike and bring in Justin Turner, bring in, you know, some other guys, and Kike is going to be the leader of the clubhouse? Sure, I'm okay with that. I, You know, I was one of the guys that was getting on uh, Duke Castiglione for kind of roasting him about it in spring training, but, you know, I was okay with it. He just, he's gone completely backwards from April on. Defensively, offensively, he just has not been the same guy that the defensive shortstop we talked about ad nauseum. It's just ridiculous how bad he was there. You put him in center field. He looks much better there, but at the plate, he still looks kind of lost. He's not having those clutch at bats. He hits a home run every now and then, but it always feels like whenever he does something, nobody's on base. So he's really not providing you much 
from his bat either. And it's just kind of weird to see that this is a guy who is a well-established veteran. The Red Sox obviously like him. I think Cora likes him. Um, they brought him back for another year, but it feels like kind of a waste because it, it just feels like he doesn't have a solidified spot on this roster. And now, you know, game by game, it's looking more like Alex Cora just doesn't want him starting. He wants him on the bench and that's it. So he's become sort of a very expensive bench player, which I did not foresee coming. Um, it's just been weird to see. Micah, what are your thoughts on Kike and what's been going on this year? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I was on board with bringing him back. Um, and I think if he was providing power or batting average, I feel like we could be like, well, he's at least doing this. But it's, it's really – there's no strength right now to his game. He's he's hitting you know like 220 or 230. How many fly balls do we see to center field? where he, it looks like he's trying to leave the yard but trying to pull the ball, but he ends up being a little late and he hits a, to center field and it's just a fly ball. It's an easy out. I mean, anytime a ball goes to center field or to right field, I just assume it's an automatic out because he doesn't have the power to get it out in that direction, but it's a fly ball. He rarely hits the ball in a line to center field or to right field. His, his whole game is basically pulling the baseball um, and he's just not doing that well right now. Um, anytime the, the ball's away from him, it's like, well, that's how's he going to get a hit that way? And until he makes an adjustment and says, I'm going to try and hit the ball to the right field, whether it be on the ground, because they, they shift crazy on him, that, that hole is open because they know he's not going to hit it over there. So until he makes that adjustment, I, I feel like we're going to continue to see um, the same type of hitter that we've seen over the last maybe year and a half. Um, defensively, I'm okay with him at second base. Um, he can play shortstop a game a week and I think they'll be okay, but I, I feel much better knowing he's not at shortstop on a, on a daily basis because that experiment just did not work. But is it, is it weird that I kind of want to see what David Hamilton can do? Um, I mean, I, I kind of feel like that's where I'm at with Kike is I'd rather see, you know, give Hamilton a week or 10 days and see what he can do because I know if he hits the ball on the ground, he's got a good chance of, of making things happen with his with his legs. But when Kike hits the ball in the air, it's like, well, there's an out. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've been a big fan of Pablo, uh, Pablo Reyes since he's joined the Sox. He's been great. Um, and I want to see Hamilton. So I feel like it's we're slowly starting to – wonder where does Kike's role fit you still have Arroyo in there and then when you add story to the mix like it's I don't know where Kike fits because he does not fit in the outfield you know if you're gonna have um, ref Snyder it'd be the lefty guy the guy against lefties um, and you have Duvall like Kike just does not fit in the outfield and I'm, I'm having a hard time envisioning how he fits on this roster um, which is kind of a bummer because I do like Kike he's a, he's a likable guy um, but uh, he's got to start producing or I don't know what they're going to do with him. I, I'm not sure that's a guy they DFA just because I do think he is one of the clubhouse leaders and that's not how it works. Um, but the playing time, he could find himself on the bench more often than not. Terry, what do you think? It's crazy because, you know, up until mid to late January when it was announced that Trevor Story would be having elbow surgery, 
up till that point, Kike Hernandez was your everyday center fielder. Like that was the plan and everybody was good with it. We were like, thank goodness we're bringing Kike back on a $10 million deal. And I was happy with it. And then, and all the while, Duran, we speculated, I don't know if it was on the show or perhaps in the war room, that he could be a DFA candidate. This was over the winter. You know, it just, there wasn't much to suggest that he would be a fit, especially with two lefty outfielders that were going to be in the lineup every day. And it's just crazy how the dominoes have fallen. Now, Duran is this highly serviceable player. Kike just having, I don't know if this is a career worse season for him, but it's, he's well below his career averages. Let's put it that way. Last couple of weeks, he's hitting an even 200 with a 200 on base. He hasn't drawn a single walk in the last couple of weeks. I don't, I don't know if they can get rid of him because like we said, Reyes is dinged up story could be back early to DH. He won't be, um, he won't be in the field uh, playing defensively until at least August by the sounds of it. Um, Yu Chang, he might not be back this year. Apparently he's not progressing well with that elbow injury at all is his comeback is, kind of stalled and there's a little bit of um, uncertainty with him. So who do you have? I mean, you got Arroyo until he pulls his hamstring. You've got David Hamilton. I don't expect a whole lot out of him. His minor league numbers suggest he's going to be a career bench guy, you know, middle infield utility guy. Um, But Hey, he can steal some bags. He's faster than Duran, and Duran is insanely fast. So you got that. But this middle infield is the worst I've ever seen. The worst I've ever seen. Remember when, like, Marco Scudero was, like, kind of underwhelming? You know, he was the bridge between Julio Lugo and Xander Bogarts. I... And what I wouldn't give to have a Marco Scudero guy, you know, in our middle infield. But, um, yeah, TK. And if you want to talk about possibly trading him at some point this summer, it could happen. But Nick, our YouTube host, gave a great take on that. He was your offseason recruiter. He brought in, he helped bring in Kenley. He helped bring in Justin Turner. Um, I might be missing one in there, but, um, perhaps, well, I don't think he would have uh, had any connections with Chris Martin, but, um, but still helped bring a couple of guys in. So would that be a popular move? I I don't know, but I think we just have to come to terms with the fact that our middle infield sucks and that's all there is to it. Yeah, unfortunately, like you said, trading a guy like Kike is highly unlikely because, again, he's just so well-liked over there. And, yeah, Nick's point is a good one, that he's an off-season recruiter. You know, he talks to a lot of guys around baseball. He's He's been around baseball for much longer than we think. So just simply DFAing a guy like that and getting rid of him, I think, would uh, not go well with, with, uh, with this clubhouse. And let's face it, they're already kind of teetering in terms of their emotional state and their investment this year. So 
Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah, it looks like his playing time is just going to be very limited going forward, which is a shame. Um, so coming in after him, number five on the list, a guy whose playing time I don't think is going to go anywhere, but he's still a little bit concerning. Uh, Micah, who do we got there? At five is Rafael Devers, and he was two for 16 in the series. Um, it, it just, am I concerned about him finding his swing? I, I think eventually he will, but these are games where, you know, the first two games of the series, the Red Sox won, and he, I don't even know, if, did he have a hit in those first two? I don't think he did in the first two games of the series. So it's like, you know, the team, the guys around him are kind of picking him up and, you know, they're, they're, they're producing and he's not. And then when the other guys that you don't expect to carry the team the entire series, when they struggle like they did um, specifically today, you still got nothing from Devers. And I think that's the part where it's like we, we the Red Sox desperately need him to to provide that, that pop. And it can't just be a home run and then, you know, the rest of the series, he's quiet. It can't be one swing a series. Um, and you go back. I was like, how bad has this stretch really been? Seven, his last seven games, he's hitting 154. So that's not good. But you go back 15 games, he's hitting 211. Is it further than that? 30 games, 216. So this has been going on for a long time. Um, and it's it continues to be the plate discipline. In my opinion, he just gets himself into terrible accounts. Um, he's very productive when he swings at the first pitch, but he's only productive when it's a good pitch to swing at and he's just swinging at so many pitches out of the zone. Um, and then the other day, I think it was yesterday, he swung at a terrible pitch in the first inning, grounded out. And then he was like, I'm going to go up and I'm going to take the first pitch. And he took a fastball right down the middle. And it's like, that's the pitch that he needs to attack the one that's in the zone. But I don't know if he's getting really frustrated and he's just over anxious and he's just chasing too much, but he just does not seem to know what he wants to swing at right now. And it's, it's really affecting his average and it's, it's affecting the offense because the offense really started to go downhill um, that last game in, in San Diego. And then on that road trip to finish the West coast. And that's when Devers really started to struggle. And um, not to say that when Devers goes, the, the offense goes, but he's a big part of it. And um, I, you can only ask guys like Duran and uh, Pablo Reyes and, and and the role players to really carry the offense for so long. It, you need a guy that you're paying $330 million to be consistent um, and act like that, that all-star that I think everyone in Red Sox nation believes he is. Terry, your thoughts on Devers? I gave a take not that long ago, you know, some guys go through mechanical issues, but with Devers, I really think it's just a mindset thing. I, I just feel like he just needs to go up there and decide that he's going to put the ball in play, not swing for the fences. You know, some people might say, well, he, he got his big contract now, so, you know, he doesn't have to work as hard. But I think if that were the case, you'd be seeing a lot more defensive lapses, uh, you know, at third base. And you're not really seeing a ton of those. I mean, he's never been a stellar defender. Um, I think last year might have been his best season. But I just feel like he's he's a product of his environment right now, which is really chaotic, really chaotic with a lot of injuries, 
uh, to the rotation. And I mean, a couple of guys around him are hitting okay. Obviously, Verdugo, Turner, Yoshida. After that, I mean, it, it kind of it kind of drops off a little bit. You know, a couple other guys have been okay the last couple weeks, but I just feel like this whole team as a whole hasn't been locked in, and and he's a big part of that. And I don't know if he's ever going to be a leader. You know, Big Poppy was was the leader. I I think Pedroia obviously a big voice at the time. But I don't know if Devers is going to ever be that guy. And I don't know if like language barriers might have something to do with that. I think he does speak a fair amount of English despite using uh, a translator. So, but it's just, it's just one of those seasons. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if a new manager comes in what will the mindset be at that point? Yeah. And the leadership issue is definitely a question with him because, and he's young, he's 26, going to be 27 pretty soon, but that's around when Ortiz got here and he became a leader pretty quick. Um, and you mentioned the language barrier that that could be, you know, a factor in it. Um, it could be that he's, you know, asked to be the leader on a team that is currently evolving. And I think the Red Sox are trying to do the whole rebuild, but also contend strategy. So there's a lot of moving pieces. He doesn't have that sort of confidence that he probably looks at Alex Verdugo and says, I'd love for that guy to get an extension, but I don't know if he's going to be here. They might trade him for prospects. If, you know, we take a dive at the deadline, it's just, everything's so up in the air with the team right now in terms of the long-term future that maybe Devers is a little bit uncomfortable taking that leadership role. But uh, nonetheless, he's the best pure hitter in your lineup, and the month of June has not been kind to him. Uh, 15 for 67. That's what he's hitting in the month of June. And seven of his 15 hits have been pressure bases. He had a big two-homer game against Colorado. He's had a couple of doubles here and there. But ultimately, he's hitting 220 in the month of June. And this is the month where, you know, the weather heats up. You know, balls should start flying out of the air. Like, he, he should be more comfortable now. And it still isn't there. And he's chasing bad, you know, breaking balls in the dirt. It feels like he's just trying to do a little too much. And that's always been my chief complaint about Rafael Devers that, he goes up there, especially when he's struggling, he goes up there and he just starts swinging from his ass. You know, fastballs down and in, he'll just wail away at them. Fastballs up and in, he'll wail away at them. And meanwhile, he'll take a breaking ball right down the middle for a strike. So his his timing is all off. I know that some people have suggested that they feel like the pitch clock is affecting him. At first, I was kind of dismissive of that argument, but... If you remember Devers, like last year and years past, he liked to do the whole, he would take a strike or whatever. He'd step back, do the whole shrug the shoulders, take a deep breath, talk to himself for a little bit, and then get back in the box. He doesn't have time to do that this year. He doesn't have time to step out of the box and talk to himself and, you know, take a breath, chew on his tobacco a little bit more and then get in there. He's got to rush a little bit more. So 
I wonder if the pitch clock really is affecting him to that point where he's just still not used to it. We know a lot of hitters who complained about it the first couple of weeks, but they adjusted. They're used to it now. Maybe Devers, it's just taking him a little bit longer. But whether it's the pitch clock, whether it's he's trying to do too much, he has to figure that out. He's got to center himself a little bit because he should be the main catalyst of this offense. And so far he hasn't been. The catalysts of the offense have been Verdugo, Duran, Turner. Um, you know, it, it's been Yoshida. It's been other guys, and he's just kind of been hiding. So, in a way, he's lucky that those guys in the lineup have gone on hot streaks because after signing the contract that he did to be this cold through June and almost into July, that's a big concern. So, um, Hopefully, whether it's the pitch clock or whether it's just he's pressing too much, he figures that out. Because if the Red Sox are contending or they want to, you know, pretend to contend, whatever their goal is, he has to be a big part of that. He has to keep them in it as because he is their best pure hitter. So he has to remember that that's what he is and figure that out. Because if he keeps going this way, it's going to be a major concern. Um, later on this year, especially if the team decides around the trade deadline, they want to sell and he's the only guy that's left and, you know, he's still hitting in the low two hundreds, not going to look good. So hopefully he figures that out. Um, so coming in now on our list at number four, we promise we, we know they won a couple of games, but you know, they also lost a couple. We got to get that out of the way. So Terry, who comes in at number four on our list? The bullpen in general will be number four. Um, the pivotal game here was the third game, Whitlock versus Sonny Gray. And Gray was dealing. I mean, he struck out Duran three times, struck out Devers uh, three times as well. Um you know, he, he was pretty tough uh, on the lefties anyway. But the thing that was annoying was the Red Sox made some plays to try to stay in that game. Like, very first inning, Justin Turner steals a base. 38-year-old Justin Turner steals a base. Ends up scoring on that play. David Hamilton comes into the game later on as a pinch runner. 70 stolen bases in the minor leagues in 2022. So he's on. He's faster than Duran. I forget who he came in for, but he steals second base, ends up coming home uh, you know, to score a run uh, in the next at-bat or whatever. And so... The, the Red Sox really grinded, and Whitlock didn't have his best stuff. He was getting hit hard, probably about as hard as he's been hit all season. But the offense kept us in it. And then we go to extras, and who do we turn to? Caleb Ort. That's your guy. That's your guy that's going to try to keep you in the game. And with the ghost runner or zombie runner, as uh, I think Alex Spear likes to call him, you know, there was a close play at first. It was kind of a weird play. I think the runner was safe. They called him out. Uh, he ends up, I think actually before that, he walked a guy. 
and then uh, Kyle Farmer ends up hitting the uh, what ended up being a walk off uh, blooper in the shallow center, and you know it, it pains everyone to see Ort get the ball in that spot. The guy I probably would have preferred was Brennan Bernardino. He did pitch the night before, but I don't think he was really taxed at all. He could have come in and pitched that 10th inning. But it drops off really bad after that. You had already burnt through Martin and Jansen. They pitched the 8th and ninth when it was tied. And, and then, you know, the 10th went to Ort. So who do you have left? If you don't go to Bernardino... You've got Nick Pavetta and you've got Joe Jakes. That's a lot of woof in that bullpen to come to come in there and pitch. So Cora essentially is picking his poison. And you're only missing John Schreiber. Okay. It's like the rotation is decimated, and we're gonna pay for that for the rest of the season. But the bullpen, it's just it's not as good as what we thought it would be. And I wasn't worried at all. I thought this could be a top five MLB bullpen. I really believed it was going to be that good, but it's not. And you, you had a great game three. Uh, well, not a great game three, but you had a very spirited game where your offense was playing small ball, keeping you in it. Uh, Whitlock was grinding, didn't have his best night, but it wasn't his worst night ever either. And then your bullpen just blows it. And I think that's going to be a big problem. I I think for the rest of the season, that's going to be a big problem. And today we picked up a guy named Taylor Scott, who uh, has pitched nine innings this season with the Dodgers, a very strong pitching organization. And they, they turn out pitchers almost as good as the Rays and the Guardians do. And they were like, nah, and they, they cut him. And uh, Taylor Scott has a career uh, ERA over 10. That's a relatively small sample size. I think 30-something games. But nine innings with the Dodgers this year. Uh, nine appearances. Uh, gave up uh, six earned runs. Also walks a lot of people. He does. He is a high strikeout guy. As much as he gets tattooed, he does punch guys out and has a uh, 12.0 strikeout per nine so that's pretty pretty strong so I think that's what the Red Sox are looking at hoping they can um, fix him but that's where we're at we're 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 acquiring the the Taylor Scots of the world and I, I'll I said it all winter I'll say it again sustainability we just don't have it yep Micah, your thoughts on the bullpen? Well, the Taylor Scott one, if the Dodgers give up on you, I feel like that's a telling sign. I, I just I feel like if you're if you're trying to find something that the Dodgers couldn't, good luck. Good luck. Um, but I, I don't disagree with you, Terry, because I still feel like if if you turn to Jansen, Martin, or even Winkowski, I still think he's been okay. He's not what he was in April, but I feel like if you turn the ball over to those three guys, you feel good. But after that, I'm not sure how confident you are um, in any of the guys. I mean, I, I, I like Bernardino, but do you really want him in the game with the game on the line? Probably not. Um, so I, I think there's really three very reliable arms, and then after that, 
it's kind of you're you're picking your poison, as you said. Um, then the the tenth inning, it, it kind of frustrated me just because you used Martin and you used Jansen. No idea if they'd be available today, so you really went for it. And then after you went for it, you turned to Ort, and it's like, how are you going for it if you're turning to Ort? A person I would have rather have seen Pavetta in that that situation, even though. Pavetta had the the the, the the trouble of walking people in, against Colorado in the extra inning game. I just trust Pavetta's stuff more than Ort's. Um, and I don't know if that's saying a lot, but um, I do. Uh, moving forward, I think a guy like Murphy could be really big for this bullpen if they can put him in there and he can be a, a two or three inning guy. I think that could help. But I think with the rotation being decimated with injuries and pulling a guy like Cutter Crawford out of the bullpen and putting him into the rotation, it, it, and even you know with the idea that maybe they could have gotten Tanner Houck and put him in the bullpen, like these guys that you thought you might get in the bullpen later on in the year when guys start to fatigue, they're now being put in the rotation and the bullpen is definitely starting to show some cracks, um, which is concerning because that's really been the strength of this team. And the rotation, I don't know. It's been really good over the last month, but I don't know if it's really sustainable, especially with no uh, no um, sale and now Hauk. So I don't know. I, I, I like the three guys, um, but after that, it's you, you feel for Cora just trying to wonder what, what he's going to do. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do some days, and um, sometimes I disagree with him, but it's like, is there really a better option? Um, and I don't know if there is. So the bullpen, I could definitely see it becoming an area of concern moving forward. Super quick, Jason, before you give your take. Um, I saw a stat. The, the Red Sox have had six extra inning games. They were 3-0 and in the first three, 0 for 3 in the next three. So it's basically an automatic loss if it goes to extras. That's how it's been. Yeah. And that's that's fair to point out because I when it comes to the Red Sox pitching both starting and bullpen, it's like they have a top tier, and then after that top tier, it just drops like it plummets significantly. Mikey, you brought up the rotation. It's you know, Paxton Bayo Whitlock now. And Hauk obviously got hurt. That's not his fault. But after that, who do they have to start? Nobody. It's, you know, Cutter Crawford's a little inconsistent. We'll get to him a little bit later. But, you know, after that, it's like they don't have anyone coming up for the minors. The bullpen, it's Jansen in the ninth. It's Martin in the eighth. And then before that, until Schreiber comes back, good luck. You've got to piece that together. And I know they're missing Blyer and they're missing Rodriguez too, but neither of those guys really impressed me either. It's, you know, they they really just don't have much. And... You know, the Caleb Ort experience, I'm already over. I'm so sick of this guy already. Um, bringing him in in a you know late-inning situation was never going to end well. My biggest gripe is the Thursday game where you have this Garza starting you know, as, as your opener. Why can't that be Nick Pavetta? Nick Pavetta has been nails out of the bullpen. He's actually been very good. His last couple of bullpen outings have been really sharp. And I know that neither of us really trust him as a starter per se, but if he's going out there with the understanding that he's only going to pitch two, maybe three innings at most, why not try him? He didn't pitch at all in the Minnesota series. 
like it's just he's been really good out of the pen. I, I don't understand why you don't utilize that. I get what you know. We understand the Corey Kluber situation because we saw him in this series, and that was almost a disaster. You were up by eight runs, and you didn't feel safe. But with Pavetta, why not have him be the opener instead of Justin Garza, who quite frankly stinks? And we saw that he he can't. He's not a major league pitcher. Um, you know, Brandon Walter came in afterwards and he wasn't spectacular, but he wasn't terrible. Um, I wouldn't have even minded if you flipped it and Brandon Walter started and you had Pavetta piggyback him. I just, and, and again, neither of us on this show are big time, like Nick Pavetta supporters or believers, but I feel like since he's gone to the pen, he's been sharper. He's been a little more focused and, his last few innings have been really good. So I don't get the decision-making from Cora's standpoint. So the bullpen has definitely been a concern, but I also, I kind of group Cora in with the bullpen issues because I don't agree with the way that he's using guys out there. And, you know, I know he's got to work with what he's got with Hulk being out, with Schreiber being out. Um, you know, he's, He's stuck with Corey Kluber and his stupid albatross contract that the Red Sox just refused to get rid of him. I Look, as a manager, there's not much more he can do. Hey, we're up by eight runs. Go out there and give us some innings. And, yeah, you're going to give up a couple of bombs and you're going to get smoked, but hopefully it's not too bad. That's all, you know, that's all Corey Kluber is at this point. But the rest of that bullpen is just, you know, Joe Jakes, Ryan Garza, Caleb Ort. These are not major league pitchers. They're 4A guys at best, frankly, because if you were to ask the Pittsburgh Pirates, do you want Caleb Orton in your bullpen? They'd probably tell you, no, we're good. We're good. You know, we, we've probably got some 22-year-old who throws flames and, you know, is, is better off serving that purpose. So it feels like the Red Sox are one of the few teams that still goes through this. Let's find some journeyman off the street to come in and, you know, either start games for us as an opener or, you know, pitching games late. It, it never works. Stop trying to do the Tampa thing of the opener because you can't do it right. Like that's, that's what I would tell I am bloom. I, I understand the opener has some value. That's if you do it correctly, you clearly can't because all these guys you bring in Garza or whatever to be openers, like it doesn't work. So, and Ort is not a late inning pitcher, as we saw. I just, you've got Nick Pavetta back there. Like, use him more. His stuff is really good. Micah, you mentioned it. His stuff of the guys in the bullpen, he probably has some of the best stuff out there. He still throws in the high 90s. He still has the breaking ball mix to work with. Yes, he's inconsistent, but he's looked pretty good so far. So, I, I, I don't get why they just continue to avoid him and it's so weird and it clearly didn't work this series the garza experiment didn't work caleb board didn't work and i just hope that schreiber and some of these guys get back healthy soon because the patchwork bullpen if you want to contend which you know who knows with them but if you want to it's not going to work caleb do you have any other uh follow-up thoughts I was just wondering as you were you were talking there. I was thinking, is John Schreiber the only 
like dart throw that Heimblum has hit on in terms of the bullpen because he was a waiver claim um, before. I think it was sometime in 21 he was a waiver claim or 22. But has there been another waiver uh, claim or a, a small trade where we can really think of that really contributing the bullpen? Because the, the Red Sox aren't the only team that that does this. Like many teams do it. I think the Dodgers, I think I just saw they picked up Ryan Brazier um, and, and then to a minor league deal. So it's not, it's not like the Red Sox are alone in this, but has, has Bloom hit on anyone other than Schreiber? I, I can't think of anyone that comes to mind, but I was wondering if I was missing someone. Well, Bernardino recently, I mean, has an ERA under three. I'm not, I feel like that'll, that'll go the other way eventually. I mean, there's just nothing overpowering about him and he looks erratic at times. Um, you know, Whitlock was a rule five guy, you know, the Bluminati is quick to jump on that one. But, um, yeah, it just, it hasn't been great. Like with Bloom, there's just been a, a fundamental misunderstanding of how to build a pitching staff, whether it's the rotation or the bullpen, it's just been so painful. And you talk about the opener thing. The Yankees have, have been the worst offensive team in Major League Baseball in the month of June. They're 30th in so many categories, in average, uh, on base. Um, they were next to last in, in strikeouts. Just a terrible team. And, and we kind of got away with one with the Ort-Murphy uh, game where I thought, well, we're, we're losing this one. And the Yankees are just so cold. They couldn't even tattoo those guys, but um, it's just been it's just been brutal. And I I'm also curious to know whose call was it to start Garza today? Was that a Cora move or was that a Bloom move? I'd love to know who wanted that because I mean Garza's been trash in his last half a dozen starts, giving up a lot of runs, walking people. His pitching lines just have not looked good. And <laughs> I we're 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 only now I feel like starting to really miss Chris Sale and, and Tanner Houck. And here's another thing. I know Houck, we're talking about the bullpen and Houck's more of a rotation guy, but the the key line for me uh on the update with Hauk from Alex Cora was we think he might be back by the end of the year. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, by the end of the year. So like what late August, you know, it's just, it's so bad. It's just another trash year with pitching. Yeah. And, and the problem was before sale went down too. sale was actually going for him fairly deep into games. He's giving you six innings. Sometimes he was getting into the seventh. Um, Tanner Houck, you know, not quite, but at least Houck would give you five. And if you were lucky, he'd give you six, you know, close to seven. Once you take those two guys out and you're having to refer to Cutter Crawford, who, you know, at times can only give you four, three or four, and then at times can give you more. Like it's those two guys going down around the same time really put a microscope on the bullpen and what you've got back there. And in terms of the whole Garza thing, whose idea was that to open with him? 
My guess is that's a Bloom decision. Um, I think Cora actually likes Pavetta out of the bullpen. I think, you know, Cora said it today, like, you know, they were asking him, is Pavetta going to slide back into the rotation anytime soon? He's, he flat out said no. He said, we like him back there. He's He's been much sharper out of the pen. But I think if it were up to Cora, he would have had Pavetta start today, at least as an opener, or at the very least, like I said, have Walter start, get as much out of him as he can, bring Pavetta in the back end for a two-inning, two-and-a-half-inning kind of spot. Um, but it didn't happen. And it's just like, I, I don't get it. Like, Justin Garza is a nobody. He, he blows. Like, he's just, he's not that good. Bernardino, same thing. I like Bernardino because he can get guys out, but he's going to get exposed pretty soon. He's not a, you know, everyday bullpen reliever. Caleb Ort is a joke. I mean, it's just, they need guys back healthy. And it's going to be a while before that happens. So, this whole patchwork bullpen is um, going to be a problem because Garrett Whitlock asking him to go seven innings every outing. And same with Bayo. That's a lot to ask of your young pitchers who you're trying to to develop. And same with James Paxton, who's a veteran, you know, a guy who historically can't stay healthy. You're going to lean on those two guys to give you seven innings every single time out. Uh, I don't feel great about it. I really don't. Any final thoughts on the on the pitching before we move on, Micah? Yeah, I just have one with the lack of um, reliable arms in the bullpen. I'm curious. Brian Mata is making his way back. I think he's just starting to throw. Um, and I'm curious, are they going to push him back to being a starter, or would do you think they would consider moving him just to a relief role and stretch him out two innings max because – if the stuff is as good as they've said, I would much rather see him coming out of that bullpen than Caleb Ord or anyone else. And I know he's got a long way to go. He's not healthy yet. But could he get healthy, you know, by the end of July or beginning of August? Like that could be a big boost to that pen when they really, really need it. And I feel like that's a that's an option that I would I would be interested in 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 seeing if they would go that route. Well, here's the problem. Before he went down with that injury, even even if you're not a you know a believer in ERA, I mean he had a ERA north of five and a half, but he was walking everybody. His whip is over two, so the dude was a mess. I don't know if it was mechanically or if it was a head thing, but I wouldn't I wouldn't count on him for much really. Uh, at least this year. Yeah, I personally, I'd feel better as if he was a reliever. If they were going to bring him back and promote him, I want him out of the bullpen. I think as a starter, he's a little too erratic. I know the stuff is electric at times, but I don't know if he has it refined just yet. Um, I would rather just tell him he's a reliever. You know, again, tell him he's going out there for one, maybe two innings and just see if he kind of, it clicks that way. We've seen a lot of great, you know, major league starting pitchers start out as bullpen guys. And, you know, it's, it's a way to ease them in. Um, I would totally be in favor of that, but with his health and and everything going on, we'll see, but you know what? I prefer that to, you know, picking up (laughs) 30 year olds from uh, the scrap heap, like this, you know, this Tyler, whatever they picked up from the Dodgers, like, 
I'll take a shot on Brian Mata, who's been in your system. You know, make him into a reliever, see what you got. Why not? So that'll be interesting to see. That Taylor Scott guy is from South Africa, by the way. That's interesting. You don't really, oh, is he? You don't really see in the Olympics. I mean, you see a lot of athletes from there, obviously, but not so much in pro sports. Uh, Liam Hendricks is from Australia. But when I think of South Africa, too, I think of Lethal Weapon 2. Did you guys see that one? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. That part towards <laughs> yeah. the end when the guy's like, diplomatic immunity, and then Danny Glover shoots him. It was like, just been revoked. That's what I think of, uh, you know, South Africa. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, his stuff, at least this year in the minors in AAA, he's looked better. So his major league numbers aren't great, but this year in AAA, not too bad. So who knows? Maybe it, that maybe that's the one that Ian Bloom actually hits on. Maybe that's the one that he targets and and hits on. But he'll we'll be, see. He'll be uh, the opener in five more days. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, the way it's going. Um, but as we promised, we're not going to be all negative on this show. Obviously, they did win two games out of this series. The first two games, they looked fantastic. So we're going to lighten things up a little bit. We're going to get to some of those guys who contributed to those first two games. Um, and we're going to lead off with one of my favorite players on this team, Justin Turner, who had another good series, 5 for 11, hit a bomb the other night. Um, personally, I think that he's getting a little bit snubbed for the All-Star game. I know that, you know, there's a lot of great infielders out there. I just kind of wish that he got a little more consideration. But once again, Justin Turner proven to be one of your offensive catalysts for this team. And I'll be real. I, you know, I'm sure someone can dig it up in the preseason. I was not over the moon about the Justin Turner signing. I like the player. I've always liked him, but he doesn't blow me away. I, I thought he had just kind of, you know, was on the downslope of his career, a guy who, is going to hit pretty well, but he's not going to be an impact player. He's proven to be impact for this team, especially with Devers going the way that he is, where, you know, he's kind of slumping a little bit. Turner has picked up the slack and, you know, that game against Joe Ryan, the Red Sox were on their way to being no hit until Justin Turner just placed a perfectly nice little bloop into right center. Um, He has a tendency to do that. And, not all of his hits are pretty. Some of them are just like that, the kind of broken back, you know, bloop into wherever or a soft line drive or what have you. And then other times he hits an absolute bomb into the second deck. So I just feel like he's been great. You know, when he got hit in the face in spring training, I was legit worried because he was off to a good start in spring and got hit in the face. And I'm like, oh, great, here we go. It's, it's another Red Sox season all over again. Justin Turner is going to miss half the year because he can't see. Nope. Came back pretty quickly and just started raking again. And he's filled in at times at first base when Casas needed some days off. And he's just been the consummate pro. He's been what we expected Kiki Hernandez to be. You know, consummate professional, goes in there, gives you good at-bats, good defense, and always does his job. So... He's been a great addition. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think, unfortunately, depending on how the team goes, will be talked about at the trade deadline. But I'm not sure I want to trade him. Uh, you know, if this team's still in it, they're still in the wild card like this. 
I want to hang on to a guy like that. I, I think he's super important going forward. So I've just, just been super impressed with him. And um, he, he was a great signing. He, he was definitely one that for the general manager, you can put Justin Turner in the win column for him. Uh, Micah, what do you think of Turner? Yeah, Turner gives you a professional bat at bat every single time in the batter's box. I probably can count on one hand how many at bats where I went, boy, that was just a terrible at bat just because he is always up there working the count, fouling pitches off. He hits the ball hard. Um, and like you said, he's not afraid to just bloop. A, he has the ability to bloop the ball into right center. And yeah, it's not pretty. It's not going to be like, whoa, look at that exit velocity. But that's how you hit close to 300 is, is being able to fight off pitches and, and, and find some grass in the outfield. Um, over his last 15 games, he's hitting 344 with a 623 slugging. And it's just, this is the type of guy, he's been this way the last almost decade in, in L.A., but the problem was he plays on the West Coast, so I don't know how many, um, I don't know how many Red Sox fans spent a lot of time watching Justin Turner hit. But he is just an awesome hitter, and I think he's finally starting to feel comfortable in this lineup. And you know, there was a lot of talk about well, Devers doesn't have protection. Well, if you wanted to put Turner behind Devers for protection, you absolutely could do that. He's not doing it right now because Turner's been hitting a lot of two, um, but. There would be really no way of saying, well, there's no one to back up Devers. Well, Turner could absolutely do it, and he could do it really well. Um, he has been awesome, and I hope Red Sox fans are enjoying him because I don't know if he'll be here, how much longer he'll be here, but he is just – he's as good of a, a professional hitter that this team has had in a long time, a long time, and I just – I've enjoyed watching him over the last month. Terry. I wasn't a huge fan of the signing either, uh, especially, I mean, because I, I was so uncertain with Yoshida, and I just, there wasn't, I mean, Duvall came in late, and um, I, I just feel like, you know, when you're replacing JD, Xander, and, and even Vasquez was a decent, you know, offensive catcher, I just feel like, you know, collectively they were all like 60 70 cents on the dollar but the good news is turner's been your best offensive player really in the whole month of june the bad news is turner has been your best offensive player the whole month of june because it's supposed to be devers and um at this point you know you would think yoshida since he's kind of lived up to the hype and doing basically the same exact things he's been doing in Japan. Um, but he hasn't had quite as good of a month. It doesn't feel like, uh, compared to Turner. So, um, love what we're seeing in terms of whether or not we would trade him. It's not as likely as you think, because the Red Sox have an option on him, uh, for next year. So it's kind of a nice little insurance policy you have. Well, at least, you know, we'll have him, we'll have Devers, uh, you'll have Yoshida. So you kind of have a somewhat of a core there of guys. So it, it might not make the most sense ever to trade him. And there's a $6.7 million buyout on that option. So um, if he does stay and he's hitting the way he has been, there's no way they're going to buy that out. They're just going to pick up the option. They're not just going to throw away 6.7 million. 
Uh, it makes much more sense to keep him. And that'll be his age 39 season, by the way, for the redheaded stepfather. Yeah. And uh, one one thing I want to ask as it pertains to Turner and essentially who I think he was swapped for with J.D. Martinez, do either of you lament that the Red Sox decided to go out and sign Turner for you know the deal that he has and let Martinez walk? Or are you happy with having Turner instead? Personally, I'm okay with Turner, but what do you guys think, Micah? What about you? Uh, I was definitely in favor of letting Martinez walk. I thought his time in Boston, it just kind of felt like it came to an end. I thought he still had something left in the tank. Um, I thought the Dodgers was the perfect team for him to go to because they seemed to unlock players um, and get them back on track. Um, but at the end of May, Martinez was really in a hot streak, and they they put up, a, I don't know, I saw it on Twitter or MLB Network, something, but I saw a comparison between Martinez and Turner, and at that time, Turner hadn't yet gotten going like he is currently. Um, and the numbers definitely were a little skewed, and I'm like, oh, man, I really liked the Turner signing, and I was fine with letting Martinez go. Um, but over the last 15 games or so, Turner has really kind of evened that out, and I don't really think there's – you know, you could say, well, I wish I had Martinez, but the numbers are pretty close um, to where they even out. So I'm glad they have Turner um, just because Martinez, he had so many – um, back problems and IL stints, and I was kind of just over that. Um, and I, I just like Turner's uh, ability to hit the ball to all ballpark, all, all parts of the ballpark. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm good with the Turner signing. Terry, how about you? Yeah, I, I would probably. I'm, I'm big on like refreshing the chemistry of the team every few years. I think that's a healthy thing. Bring in new blood, new vibes, all that. Um, I got Turner's postseason numbers up here, and JD was very good for us in the postseason, especially in 2018. But in the 2020 World Series, even though it doesn't count, uh, Turner was uh, he hit 320 with a 346 on base, so very robust in a in a very big series that went six very intense games. Would have went to Game Seven had they left Blake Snell in there, um, you know. Well, probably would have went to Game 7, I should say. But um, very good postseason numbers. And his whole career, and this is a sample size of 86 games, so that's a lot of games to play in the postseason. That's like half of a regular season, uh, and perhaps just a little bit more than that. But Turner's a 270 hitter with a, a 370 on base, uh, 830 OPS in the postseason. So... There, there was a lot to like there. I just, I just wish we would have done more around him. Um, you know, you didn't really replace Xander. You didn't replace his production, really. So, uh, at least in the infield. Um, so, I, you know, we'll see. We'll see. He, he's an impossible guy to not like. He's way more likable than than JD is. You know. JD was, you know, a bit of a diva, and we had that report where they were kind of bullying Casas. But in hindsight, I'm like, well, Casas does seem to be a little bit annoying, but you know, is what it is. Yeah, I yeah, like I said, I agree. I JD to me was uh, it was perfect for the amount of time that he was here. I was ready to move on. It was just um, right. 
Exactly. Yeah. Like that contract worked out. It, it was perfect. Um, 2020, he quit on you. Um, towards the end here, he got frustrated with the rookies and, you know, I think underperformed and seems like a little bit of a clubhouse distraction when things don't go well. So I'm happy with Turner. I'm glad he's here. Um, he's been a great fit so far. So good, uh, good swap all around. Uh, so after Turner coming in at number two on our, what ends up being a top six list, Micah, who do we got? We have Cutter Crawford and um, he, Pitched five innings, five shutout innings on uh, Tuesday night. Gave up six hits and struck out five. And the biggest difference for me um, between this start and his previous start against Colorado was he had no walks. Against Colorado, he had three walks, and he gave up four runs against Colorado. And that's going to be, to me, I feel like that will be the sign of if he has a good outing or a bad outing is how many walks does he have. Because again, he gave up six hits. It's not like he, you know, he's not gonna give up one or two hits an outing. P teams are gonna be able to put the bat on the ball against him. Um, but if he can limit the walks, then he can probably deal with one or two hits an inning, and it's not gonna get out get away from him. He may give up a run or two here and there, but the big inning when he walks people, that's when the big inning is gonna happen. And he was able to avoid the walks, and he pitched really well. So. I would love to see some consistency out of him. Um, it seems like it's been one good outing, one bad outing, and then one okay outing. So hopefully as he um, gains a little bit more confidence as a starter, because it sure looks like he's going to be one of the five guys, hopefully um, he can start to be a little bit more consistent out there. And even if he only gives you five innings, you know, five innings of one or two runs, I'll take that every day of the week. Um, but the, the, the start against Colorado, it, it really got out of hand, and it, it was because of the walks. Terry, what do you think? I think, well, first of all, it was a good outing. And I, you know, Bailey Ober, you know, quality starter, you know. I, I'd love to have a Bailey Ober in, in my rotation. But um, I just felt like I, I picked – the Red Sox to win that game. Cause I felt like the starter, the starters were kind of equal. And I, I just think the Red Sox had a big edge in terms of offense. And, um, you know, they were able to put up some runs. They, they ended up scoring 10 that game, but with Crawford, I'm just, I'm still not a believer. And if he proves me wrong, more power to him. But I just feel like his kryptonite is, is a very patient, lineup if a lineup goes in there and they're patient they see some pitches i think you will see some walks i think they're going to kind of sit on him a little bit i mean he throws what mid 90s 95 or so um so not too overpowering but i just it's going to take a much bigger sample size before i get confident in him and the Twins, you know, they're the number 28 ranked offense, like I said earlier. You know, they're not going to – they're going to strike out a lot. They're pretty reliant on the long ball. Don't score a ton of runs. So I, I think, you know, he had the benefit of, of facing them. And, 
you know, not so much. Well, we do have Miami coming up that they've been playing okay, but this isn't a great month. So I guess the Red Sox are kind of fortunate for that. You know, they got a very favorable schedule compared to April and May, but um, I don't know. One guy, and the stuff is totally different. I'm not comparing them in terms of their arsenal and their, you know, their pitching repertoires, but. Andrew Miller, remember, he had kind of a very tough path the first few years. They really wanted him to be a starter. I think Detroit gave up on him. We picked him up, and it didn't go so well. He had some bad starts in the uh, collapse year late in the season. And um, and then under Bobby Valentine, of all people, they kind of discovered he was a, a stud reliever. And I think... Cutter Crawford, at a minimum, can be a very good reliever, a seventh or eighth inning guy even. So I think that's the worst-case scenario. Right now, we're we're so decimated, we got no choice but to start him. So we'll see, but uh, this was a very good matchup for him, and uh, he made the most of it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think worst-case scenario, you've got a bullpen guy there who's – filling in in the starting rotation and he's helping you win games. And look, I, I don't believe that he's a starter either. Granted. Um, I also said the same thing about Tanner, Houck and Garrett Whitlock all season. So those two guys up until how, you know, got hit in the face, um, they've been proving me wrong and maybe Crawford will too. Maybe Crawford will start going deeper into games. Maybe he'll start going six, seven innings and, you know, he'll look really good. I just, I think that his stuff, his stuff is good. It's more that it's the command and it's his approach that I think is going to hold him back. Um, when he doesn't walk guys, he looks great, but he has those starts where he tends to dance around the lineup a little bit and he walks too many guys. And I don't think he has a stamina to go much further than a certain pitch count. So it forces him to leave the game early and that's what you get. So Ultimately, I think his his long-term role will be in the bullpen. Um, but, hey, if he's going to give you starts like this, you know, when guys are hurt and they're out of the rotation and you're, you're just looking for anyone to give you five quality innings, if he can do that. And I know the Twins' offense isn't great. Neither is Chicago's. Not, you know, like, but he is going to have some tests coming up. Miami. Texas, you know, it, the, the Red Sox do have some some tough offenses coming up that are going to challenge him. So he's going to have to step up for those. And I, I do worry that he could get lit up in one of those starts. But for now, am I fine with him being your back-end starter and hopefully giving you five quality innings? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd rather that than Kluber. I'd rather that than as much as I praise Nick Pavetta out of the bullpen earlier, I don't want Nick Pavetta starting a five or six inning game. I want him pitching the the two innings and then getting him out of there. So I think Crawford, when he's on, can at least give you five or six. I just long term, I'm still not I'm not sold. I you know, I like the velocity. I like that he attacks hitters, all that stuff, but I also feel like you know, when he gets behind or when he's struggling a little bit, he tends to try and pinpoint too much and he doesn't have the command to be able to do that. So um, 
I still think long-term he's more of a bullpen guy, but for now, he's giving the Red Sox what they need. He's giving them innings. He's providing quality starts out of the back end of that bullpen or out of that rotation, excuse me. And that's what they need right now. So, hey, ride the wave as long as you can. Um, you know, long-term, we'll figure that out later. But for right now, until Hauk, if and when he comes back, or Sale, if and when he comes back, or if they decide to trade for someone at the deadline, this is who you got. And if he's going to go up against bad offenses and do that, that's what you need him to do. So fine. I'm okay with it. I just, again, like long-term, I'm not a hundred percent sold, but it takes a lot to sell me. Let's be fair. Again, like I, I called Garrett Whitlock, not a real starter for, you know, two months on this podcast. So, and he's, he's making me look uh, pretty stupid for that. So <laughs> admittedly. Real quick on Hauk, he actually wasn't pitching that well uh, other than the two Yankee starts. Like he he was very good in those starts. He's got great numbers against them, but you go to his June 4th start, so that was three starts ago. Uh four earned runs over five innings against Tampa. Start before that only lasted four innings against the Diamondbacks, gave up four runs. Uh, two start his start before that was good against uh the Angels. He Gave up just one run over six innings, but then against Seattle in mid-May, you know, four runs over five innings. His start against Toronto uh, in on May second, six earned runs. So he was scuffling and and had an ERA uh, just over five. So I wasn't. I mean, you want Tanner Houck over what you had today. Don't get me wrong all day long, but I still had a lot of concerns about him uh, going forward. So, you know, maybe I was screaming from the mountaintops all winter. I wanted him to start. I thought he was a starter, but, but in hindsight, I mean, his best uh, run here with the Red Sox has been as a reliever and he was lights out you know when when he uh was essentially closing so yeah and you know unfortunately has one of the most unlucky injuries you can ask for <laughs> as a starting pitcher <laughs> so uh ugh. best of luck to him we'll, we'll see if we uh see tanner Houck at all the rest of the season but for now cutter crawford is pretty much guaranteed a couple more starts at least uh because of that so Hopefully he keeps that up. Uh, so rounding out our list at number one, Terry, who's got the number one spot this week? Oh, my haters on Twitter are going to love this. Uh, number one this week is going to be Tristan Casas, who has really put together a, a nice couple of weeks here. And it all goes back to that terrible defensive game he had against Colorado. Uh, in which the very next day, Alex Cora said he would be getting less starts at first base. And um, just in the last couple weeks, he's hitting 292 with a 370 on base, an OPS of 849. He's hit a couple of home runs uh, in that span, has walked six, only Devers has walked more, which sounds crazy to me. Because uh, you know Devers has been so bad lately, but uh, in I think it was let's see game one of this series, uh, he had a 
he had a two run. Actually, I, I can't remember if it was a two run shot or a solo. It was a two run shot, actually. It was a two run shot. Uh, just a missile over the right field wall. And it basically put the game out of reach. I think it was about seven or eight to three at that point. Uh, and the Red Sox really started to cruise at that point. Earlier in the game, he hit another missile, but it just went off, it ricocheted off the wall. Um, and it was hit so hard, you know, he was essentially held to a single. But, but like I said, going back to the, the Rocky series, this is, that's where the turnaround seems to be pretty, pretty noticeable here. And what I've been wondering since then was, should Alex Cora had been tougher on him earlier in the season? Maybe Tristan Costas is a guy that's going to respond to criticism and maybe he needs that kick in the butt. And that's always been a gripe I've had about Alex Cora. He's just not tough enough. And you just wonder under a different manager, someone who's a bit tougher, what would this year have been like right out of the gates for Tristan Costas? Maybe he did. Maybe he would have lived up to the hype. So I kind of, I kind of hope Cora stays on him or, or perhaps the, the coaching staff. Maybe, maybe it's been one of them that's, uh, you know, been tougher on him the last couple of weeks. But I, I feel like it just when the pressure's on, he, he really steps it up. Yep. Micah, what do you think? I don't know if Casas could have ever lived up to the hype. It just seemed like people were just putting unrealistic expectations on him as a rookie. Um, but I do wonder, it seems like he had so many unique ways of preparing for a game. And it just seemed like based on the, the interview that was in the athletic the last week, like they were, the, the response was, well, we need to talk to him. And it's like, we're, we're, 60 plus games into the season or 70, whatever we are, like we need to talk to him. Why are you not talking to him about some of these things? It just seems like they've really kind of let him kind of do what he wants. Um, and as a player who has never had success in the big leagues, it seems like they, it would have been in their best interest to be a little bit more firmer with him and say, okay, I know you do this, but can we work around that? And can, you know, we wanted you to do this. So we'll let you do that. But it just seems like they've let him do whatever he wants. And I, I don't know if that was the best tactic because obviously they they lit a fire because he's swinging it much better. Um, the at bat in the in the Minnesota series that I love the most was the the opposite field double off of Duran. Um, he smoked that to tie the game uh, yesterday. That Duran. To me, what he's doing in the bullpen is illegal. 103 miles per hour. That is just, I don't, a 99 mile per hour splitter. That doesn't even make sense. If you would tell a player 20 years ago that a guy has a 99 mile per hour splitter, that wouldn't even make sense. It, it just, it's ridiculous. But that at bat to me, that was impressive. And I love that he went to the opposite field. He needs to do more of that um, because, again, you cannot, even with the limited shift, um, in, in this year, you cannot just pull the baseball and hit for a 260, 270 or above average. You have to use the whole field. 
and I'm hoping that's what he starts to do. But definitely signs of of some life in Casas, and if they can start getting some first base production out of him, I mean that would go such a long way because that position, as we've stated for a long time now, it's been a black hole. So if they start getting some first base production, this offense becomes uh it goes back to being a, a much scarier offense and probably more of the offense that we saw in the beginning of the year the development of tristan casas might be one of the most important things for the 2023 boston red sox and he might be joining garrett whitlock in the group of uh takes that i need to annul and call back because as I mentioned earlier, I said Whitlock wasn't a real starter. Uh, I've been calling Tristan Casas Lars Anderson 2.0 for the last couple of months because I wasn't sure this kid was ever going to figure it out. He now seems like he's starting to get there. Um, the the, the at-bats look more confident. He'll still have the odd strikeout here and there, but he's every, even if he makes an out, he's smoking the ball. When he makes contact, he's smoking it, and – defensively he's been a lot better that play that he made to Whitlock you know Wednesday night's game that was smooth I mean that was you know it it didn't seem like much but he was going to his left and had to make a quick flip I forget who the hitter was but it was a pretty speedy runner and he had to trust that Whitlock would would be there he was made a nice sweet little feed to him um you know wasn't too flashy about just made the play he had to be that it had to be so it seems like whatever the Red Sox are trying to get through to him, it's working. And the average is climbing up. The OPS is climbing up. Um, I mean, in the month of June, his OPS has been 867. I mean, he's starting to figure it out. And he's starting to really hit the ball hard. Even if he's not hitting it out, he's, he's starting to drive it a lot more. The strikeouts have cut down. The walks are still there. So... He really does seem like he's slowly figuring it out. And look, admittedly, I you know I've been saying on this podcast for weeks, why not send him down? Like, what are you doing? You know, you're a team that's contending, and he's not figuring it out. Send him down, go get a first baseman somewhere. But if he's gonna you know figure it out and slowly climb up like this, you don't have to do that. That's one less move you have to worry about. So it was a good series for him. I just hope it continues because if he goes for, you know, over 16 in the next couple of games, then we're right back to square one where we go, okay, you know, once again, the first base position is neglected and, you know, you could be in a better wild card position if you had production out of that position. So I hope it doesn't come to that. I don't think it will. I, I really do think he's turning a corner. He seems much more confident up there. I think that they have, pulled him aside a couple of times and said, Hey, look, you know, let's just focus on doing what you do best. Don't, don't worry about, you know, becoming Superman in your rookie season. Let's just do the routine plays at first base. You know, your, your hitting approach is fine, but maybe, you know, if you get a fastball down the middle on an O one count, I don't know, maybe take a hack at it because you're a moose and you could hit it 450 feet if you wanted to. So um, I, I, I do think they've had some conversations with him. I think Cora has probably gotten in his ear and said, Hey, look, like, you know, may, maybe Cora even said, you know, even if it's a lie, like, Hey, you've got to get your head out of your ass or else like, you know, they might figure out something else at first base. 
So let them know that that job is yours, that you belong here. Um, I wouldn't put that past Cora as much as I bagged on him all year. Like he is supposed to be that manager who gets the most out of players, rookie or otherwise. So maybe they task Cora with, you know, Hey, don't worry so much about the pitchers, whatever. Go talk to Tristan, get in his ear and, 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 you know, light a fire fire under his ass because we need to get him going. That wouldn't shock me at all. So whatever it is, he's been, he's looked much better as of late. He's looked much more confident and they need that. They, they need, they need to Tristan crosses for, uh, you know, the production from him and the development to be there. That's a huge part of this year. And it looks like it's starting to finally trend in that right direction. So do you guys know who Ryan Noda is? I do. Yeah. First baseman for Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that makes one of us anyway, because I had no idea who this guy was, but he's leading the American League in walks with 50. Um, cause I, and I, I only know this cause I wanted to see where Casas was. He's ninth, uh, in the American league, uh, with walks and let's see, Randy Rosarena is third. So he's only five more walks ahead of Casas. So it's pretty tight there, uh, in the top 10. And the reason, the other reason I'm, I'm looking that up is because when you talk about the hype Casas had was that. He was elite with controlling the strike zone. That's what he was so good at. And I think the fact that he's takes so many walks, I think that speaks to his potential of being elite. So the other half of it has been the hitting and it's starting to, um, you know, it's starting to come around. So maybe we're going to see him finally realize most of that potential, um, one question, this is our longest show ever, by the way, <laughs> we're at the, uh, we're at an hour and 21. I don't think we've gone that long all season. Um, one final question. If it ever came down to it and Tristan Casas became an everyday designated hitter, could he be David Ortiz? Like, could he be the next great dh and and would it help him to be the dh so that he's only focusing on hitting i personally i don't see that for him um i think his hitting approach is different than ortiz's was ortiz had natural power he had just like he just had that natural if if you either made a mistake or even if you just threw it anywhere in his strike zone he could hit it 450, no problem, effortless. Um, I think Casas is more, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I think he's more methodical where he's not always looking to launch every at-bat. He's looking for his pitch, and you know, at, at times he's almost looking for the walk. If, if he knows the pitcher well enough, he's looking for, this guy doesn't control very well, I'm going to sit here and be patient, and he might walk me, and that's okay. You know, he's sort of the new school of a walk is as good as a hit, you know, that kind of thing. So in terms of will he be a full-time DH, I could see that in the future. He, he's a bigger guy. It, you know, if he doesn't pick up the fundamentals at first base, they may have no choice but to put him there. But in terms of pure power, I don't think that he's – like I don't see Casas hitting 
more than 35 home runs a year. And I think 30 to 35 is his tops. I think that that's what he is. Like he, he may never, never even get there. He might have like Rafi power where it's his peak is 25 to 33. Um, so I think he's a little bit different than Ortiz, but if he's a full-time DH, I, that's not the worst thing as long as he's productive in other ways. Um, I think they're hoping for a little bit more out of him. I think that they really think he can be not a gold glove first baseman, but a very good defensive first baseman. Not to make a direct apples to apples comparison, but like Mitch Moreland in his prime, a good defensive first baseman who has a good amount of pop, not too much, but is a good professional hitter. I think that's what they're looking for. Also very injury prone too, though. So there, that could be an extra benefit. But, Michael, what do you think? I think it's hard to really predict anything out of him just because I, I, I know he's a patient hitter. But other than that, I don't know what his strength is as an actual hitter. Like, is he just a pull hitter or can he go to the opposite field? He showed it last year that he could, but he's shown it very little this year. So I, I truly don't have a read on him. Um, I'm hoping that if he keeps hitting, we'll kind of start to see, okay, this is the type of hitter he can be. I mean, that ball he hit down the right field line, that was a missile. And if he has that type of power in him, I don't see why he can't be a 30-plus homer guy. Um, but I, he was kind of praised for his defense coming up through the system. So I, I'd be surprised if he, isn't, if he can't make the necessary adjustments and be at least an average defender. Uh, the guy who, if you're going to compare someone to Ortiz, I think it's Devers, um, just because I've always, I think he's improved his defense a lot at third, but I still don't think it's anywhere near um, an above average defender. And I, I do think Devers is a guy who could move to DH way more than um, Casas would. Um, but I, that's just me. I've always thought Devers either first base or DH because I just, as he gets older, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to to continue to to play laterally when he's already kind of average to below average. So with Casas, I, I think he's going to be fine defensively at first base to 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 stay at the position. I think Devers is adequate enough at third to to possibly suggest he would be average to maybe slightly above average at first. I feel like he can scoop a ball. I feel like, and I mean, it, it remains to be seen, but I, I just feel like he shows enough ability at third, I think, which is a lot more technical. I feel like, but yeah, I think in general, any athletic third baseman can transition over to first. Uh, we see it in the past. So and, and I don't think the Red Sox would have given, uh, you know, that long of a contract to Devers if they didn't think at one point, hey, if he slips a little bit, we can put him at first. So I agree. I think that they believe he's athletic enough. He's made enough strides that if that were to be a case, he can move over to first at any point. But there's also the, you know, the possibility that he's Adrian Beltre and, you know, just is a bigger guy, but he's still athletic and can play for third base for, you know, until his 40s which would be ideal. So, um, you know, we'll see. He has the clutch gene, Ortiz does. I mean, would it be the wildest conspiracy theory ever if Ortiz really was his father? 
<laughs> I mean, it just they're just insanely clutch. Their postseason numbers are identical, you know, except for the home runs, you know, because Devers has a smaller sample size. But average on base, all identical uh, to Ortiz. So, yeah, and Ortiz has said it in the past. He looks at Devers. He says, "Yep, reminds me of me when I was younger." So. You know, we, we may not have even seen the best of Rafael Devers yet, which that's best case scenario. If he's not even entered his prime yet, look out. So a lot of fun stuff ahead. So uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this show. Uh, we will be back with you guys real soon. We're going to preview the Red Sox White Sox series that's coming up this weekend. The Red Sox will be in Chicago for that one. Uh, also keep a lookout for our Bastards Roundtable episode. That'll be coming out this weekend as well. And then the weekend crew will have you guys on Monday morning, and they'll be recapping the White Sox series. So we will see you guys for all those episodes. Until then, everyone, take care.